I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded an episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join in the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current cropping and crop management topics. So with that, I do want to welcome, uh, we've got Dr. Devlin Sarangi, weed scientist with the University of Minnesota. Welcome, Devlin. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So he'll be on. Uh, we got Tom Holberstead, a, a research scientist, uh, does a lot of weed science work down in, uh, in agronomy work down in uh, Wasika at the Southern Research and Outreach Center. Uh, and then we've got uh, Dave Nikolai on. Uh, who's also been moderating these sessions, but uh, we'll have him talk a little bit about corn and and some of the considerations there with the droughty conditions. And then in the background there, I can see Brad Carlson, uh, who we all know is uh, very tuned with uh, nitrogen, nitrogen management. And there may be questions related to uh, nitrogen, nitrogen management, I thought. So we brought him up uh, just in case uh, the discussion heads that way. So um with that, I guess, Devlin, maybe we'll start with you to to just uh, kind of, you know, it's been a weird year for weed control from limited activity to pre-emergence herbicides to, in our case in Rochester at that site, uh, no activity because of the planning date and total lack of precipitation. Uh, but, you know, maybe you want to start and, and, and address some of the things that have been uh, coming to your mind and questions that may have been uh, coming across your desk. Yeah, thank you, Ryan, and good morning, everyone. So, yeah, today we are focusing on this drought situation, and I was constantly talking to our colleagues in different parts in, parts in Minnesota, and um, like a couple of weeks back when I was talking to Bruce uh, from Lamberton, he was telling that Eastern Minnesota people should understand how it feels when it is dry in Western part of Minnesota. So, um, yeah, so we are experiencing uh, exceptional drought situation and uh, we do uh, most of our research out of uh, Rosemont Research and Outreach Center. And I can talk about um, how it looks like because I have the uh, data of rainfall for the June month. And we got close to one inch rain in the whole month, and which is uh, which is uh, three inch less than the normal. So in a normal year, we'll get about four inch rain in whole June, but we got about an inch, um, about an inch. So uh, that's that shows like how dry it is. But last weekend, we got about a quarter to, um, I don't know, maybe quarter inch of rain and uh, that helped our crop. And I checked the crops, it's looking good. Uh, I mean, looking better, I would say, not good, looking better. But uh, at the same time, the water hem started emerging again. So due to the dry year, um, we saw Earlier in the May, like uh, by May 15, there were there was some emergence of water hemp, and after that, the emergence really went down. And um, 
I was thinking whether they will come back or not, but I knew if there is rain, if there is enough moisture in the soil, they will come back because our soybean and corn is growing slow due to this dry weather. They're not uh, closing the canopy uh, soon enough. So I saw uh, this week that small uh, water hemp started coming up again. And uh, lamp squatters still uh, uh, coming up. So it's like uh, uh, we are end of June. So usually we don't see that much lamp squatter emergence later part of the June, but I'm still seeing lamp squatter is emerging. Uli cup grass is emerging. And I saw Uli cup grass is one of the species uh, that uh, germinate through the dry period. I mean, there was no um, new emergence from water hemp or lamp squatters, but Uli cup grass started to uh, keep growing and keep emerging. I saw that. So, so Devlin, a couple of weeks ago, I had a, a couple of discussions with farmers wondering, you know, it was time to put on a post-emergence herbicide application for soybean, but we're looking at soybeans that they just at least in this area, look like they were on pause, right? They aren't growing real actively. And so there was a lot of questions around, well, should I go with my whole program or should I split my program apart? And so we kind of, uh, through some talking, decided like maybe they would do their, their glyphosate application with their volunteer corn two weeks ago, let's say, and uh, a hold back that happened to be an enlist soybean system, both of these. Uh, hold back that enlist for later uh, for, for the situation where water hemp might start to emerge after we get a little bit of rainfall. And so that's that was the strategy that, that we came up with. Now, what about a grower? You know, maybe I did my whole load uh, two weeks ago. Now, what do I got to think about as far as, uh, you know, some of that water hemp that's going to emerge? Well, the crop is going to be a little slow to canopy. Yeah, so uh, that definitely depends on what is the stage of your crop because uh, if you're in the drier part of the state and uh, if you got some rain earlier in the May and you planted your corn or soybean uh, sometimes around that time so probably you got some activation of your pre but if you are uh, if you planted your corn or soybean later part of the May which was really dry uh, probably you had very limited activation of the uh, trees. And uh, I hope that you spread your post early enough in that situation to uh, tackle those weeds because uh, we have some plots that was planted May 5th and those, those plots are still looking great uh, in, uh, from the standpoint of Freeze, but then we have some plots that was planted maybe two weeks after like around May 20 and pre did not get activated and it was like a really uh, weedy plot and uh, if I go back now to spray some of the post I think the uh, lamb squatter would be one feet or one and a half feet tall so um, so I hope the folks uh, who planted later part of the May and did not get enough activation of the pre, they already sprayed their post. But uh, you still have some options. For example, um, like um, if you are if you want to spray some kind of cleanup treatment for Liberty, uh, you still have option to spray it until R one stage of soybean. 
And like same like enlist one, you can spray through R2. So um, some residual herbicide, because I told you the water hem started coming up. So you can tank mix your um, uh, treatments like Liberty or Enlist One with some kind of residual, and um, that will give you some opportunity for uh, residual control for water hemp. And um, example could be Warrant. It can be sprayed before R2 stage or full flowering. So you can spray until R1 uh, of soybean. Uh, uh, outlook will be slightly earlier. Uh, if I'm not mistaking, it's I think up to V5 stage of soybean. So if your soybean passed V5 and it's close to R1, maybe it's not good choice for you. But yeah, there are some group 15s uh, that you can still tank mix and get some uh, control of uh, water hemp, residual control of water hemp. And just, just I would remind you, if you are using um, Enlist One or even Liberty uh, as a cleanup treatment right now, uh, be careful if your water hemp or lamb squatter is tall enough, like one feet or six, eight inch tall, you may not get 100% kill because I saw uh, one picture yesterday, somebody put it on the Twitter from uh, the Western part of Minnesota. And uh, definitely he sprayed uh, Enlist One to water hemp, which is close to one feet tall and it's not dying. So not necessary, it is resistant to uh, Enlist One or 24D, but it was sprayed when it was too tall. So you have to take care of the growing points, how many growing points on that plant. So uh, first along those lines, you know, we also have very harsh growing conditions and weeds are known to harden off. One that comes to mind is, is lambs quarter in particular, like when we've got uh, droughty conditions, uh, are there other things to think about then aside from size if if things had got away from you what other things are you thinking about to kind of uh, boost your control in those environments where we've got maybe weeds that got a little too tall and we've got a harsh environment that they've been growing in yeah so uh, that's a very good question ryan so you should consider some of the uh, things regarding adjuvants because in a dry and um, like um, hot, dry conditions, some of the adjuvants can help you to absorb those herbicide inside the plant. And um, so that's kind of boost the herbicide activity. And for herbicide like Liberty, consider other factors like you should spray when it is a sunny, hot day uh, with uh, some uh, humidity in the uh, environment because that helps with the Liberty activity or glufosinate activity. So um, those are definitely a few things you should consider. So just read the label and um, don't um, skip any kind of adjuvants if it is mentioned in the label, because especially like dry and hot conditions, uh, those adjuvants helps uh, uptaking of those herbicide in the weed. So something else that comes to mind, Dublin, you know, some folks, you know, they're in an enlist system or a Liberty system where they can, can use those uh, products, but some folks are going to be using the PPOs in a post-emergence uh, situation to control, control weeds. And 
something that comes to mind are some of those restrictions now as we get later into into the month, both the cutoffs as well as some of the carryover concerns for, in particular, Fomesafin. So that'd be a Flexstar would be a product everyone's familiar with, but there are many products that have uh, Fomesafin in it. And do folks need to start thinking about making a change and, and look at different uh, PPOs if that's what they're planning on? Yeah, so this year I got actually a couple of the pictures from some of our crop consultants and growers. They texted me some of the pictures of soybean and corn injured from last year's uh, herbicide application. So um, I can tell you, I saw a picture of uh, stinger or cloparelid injury on soybean, uh, like last year's cloparelid injury from in this year's soybean. And similarly, I saw some uh, flexor or fomus of an injury from last year that carry over to this year's corn. So yes, that's <clears throat> because, you know, last three years kind of, we are straight into this drought spell. And uh, uh, some part of the state got rain, some part did not. So I think that is one of the consideration you should uh, keep in mind. And uh, one of my colleagues used to say that if you spray anything in July, that's not a good idea because there is a high chance of carryover uh, to um, next crop or next year. So uh, definitely consider those things. And I will give you example like... Uh, I saw this year somebody sent me pictures of uh, cloparelid or stinger injury, as well as he sent another picture of some kind of uh, HPPD injury. And we figured out it is probably Callisto or Mizotrion from last year. But if you consider those two herbicides, if you see their half-life, I'm just coming straight from the herbicide handbook. Callisto or Mizotrion has 15 days of half-life whereas uh, clopidogrel or stinger has up to 70 days of half-life. So still like we saw some injury from both the herbicides this year in soybean uh, uh, from a um, crop consultant's picture. So um, I'm just trying to remind you like if this dry spell continues, if we don't get enough rain in the future um, this year, maybe um, it's not a good idea to spray uh, some of those herbicides like clopyrrolate or fomizofen in later in the season, uh, especially when we are heading into July. Yeah, and those those carryover or those half lives, I mean, that's kind of book value. And when we don't have precipitation and biological activity in the soil those things kind of tend to drag out when we see see potential, more potential for some of those issues. Now, exactly, Dave, uh, you know, here's something for you. If if we're switching away from Flexstar because we are getting late and we're concerned about carryover to our corn crop, there are probably a couple of products that you're familiar with, right? Uh, blast from the past that we could switch to if need be. Now, these tend to ding up or bronze your beans pretty good, but uh, there are a couple of options. Well, you know, certainly, uh, you know, the Flexstar has been an issue in Iowa and Minnesota in, in the past, uh, probably will continue to be. Uh, I know there was reports in the Red River Valley of, of carryover as well from last year when it was dry. But, you know, the uh, the other standbys, the, the acyfluorophen or the blazers, the cobras, I think those are the things you're referring to, Ryan, um, probably might have a, uh, have a fit. Uh, 
I think you have to look at all of these labels, though, when it comes to uh, their growth stage on soybeans, because we've already got soybeans that are, are starting to bloom, uh, Devlin, you know, and uh, becoming R1. Uh, we've we switched over the, uh, you know, summer solstice here. We're, we're at the point, obviously, where our days are going to get a little shorter. Uh, so that's triggered that. So um, that has an effect, too, on what you can apply and what you can't, because you're having a portion of that field that's already going to be at R1. Good point, Dave. Uh, so, Tom, uh, what's uh, been your observations there from Wasika as we head a little bit further to the west and south? Uh, I know you guys have had a little bit more precip, but I, it's been a, a weird year, I, I think, for, for everybody and, and have seen some unique observations as far as uh, weeds and things. Yes, it has been a really peculiar year. Um, the rainfall has been the big story. You know, we we were doing fine until about the 5th of May, and then uh, we had somewhere between 7 and 9 inches of rain in about 10 days, pretty much across the whole southern part of the state. Now, that, uh, that led to some ponding, much more replanting than I've seen in 40-some years of uh, doing agronomy work in this part of the state. So... <laughs> And led to some challenges even when we got back out. Some people pushed a little bit, uh, planted in some wet conditions, and then it turned hot and dry. And now we've seen a lot of things, like Devlin mentioned, I think there's potential even for some of that clopyrrolid when the soybeans are trying to do everything in that top couple inches of soil, and uh, maybe the concentrations are a little too strong and it's hot and dry and Everything's coming from the soil surface. <clears throat> Mother Nature did quite a bit for us in the small seeded broadleaf weeds. Uh, they didn't really come. That top quarter inch of soil was very dry. So I haven't seen a lot of lambs quarters. Foxtail's been less of an issue. I think Devlin mentioned woolly cupgrass he's seeing, barnyard grass. Those are things that come in warmer seasons like this. And I'm, I'm a little worried about that. The one thing I think is, is has potential to get ugly is water hemp. Uh, Soybeans are short, they're not growing like normal, and you mentioned they are flowering. That's that's sort of a day length thing. It really it doesn't really matter how tall they are. If water hemp has a canopy and we do get the right conditions, it will it will rear its ugly head. So uh, pay attention to the what we can do with some residuals on this crop this time of year. And someone also mentioned that uh both from next year's standpoint and this year's standpoint, not very many good things happen when we start spraying soybeans for weeds in July. So we're getting right up there. Um, some of those big lambs quarters, what can you do? Well, some people might have their old cultivators. That might be a, a tool that comes into play this year when, when the soybean canopy isn't doing its job. Uh, that's something we can think about. So. We picked up a nice inch of rain. Corn is starting to use some of that deeper soil moisture. I think most of the southern part of the state, there, there is a decent, we have good water holding capacity soils. And if we can get enough rain to where the crop can utilize some of that, we'll be fine. And I, I, Minnesota Crop News put an excellent piece out on early season drought. I think people should uh, steer towards that and read that. I think you'll, you'll learn a lot. And we'll put that in the links that'll come near the end of the presentations or, or the discussion here today. Uh, one thing I want to mention is the the amount of uh, HPPD 
injury I saw in corn and where we had multiple hybrids planted, there appeared to be some differentiation in, in how well corn hybrids could uh, handle some of those products. Uh, in particular, we have a little trial we're doing with uh, Dean Melvick on some fungicide things and two different hybrids in there. And I used a, a product in there um, early post at the full strength. Uh, I won't name names because I, you know, typically don't see this, but uh, we, we did see a uh, source differential response. And I know a number of growers in the area that did see some of the same things in particular, where they charged up their booms, they'd see some pretty extensive bleaching and, and injury to, to the corn crop uh, anywhere where they overlapped. And, and I would I'm kind of putting point my finger at the the lack of moisture and this you know kind of the challenge of uh, 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 to grow and metabolize the product. Just kind of throwing that out there because there were no insecticides involved. There was not an organophosphate that would have caused that sort of thing to happen. So, you know, one thing um, I wanted just to mention with uh, uh, Tom, you had the field day the other day at Wasika, and there was some replant in the area, you know, because of flooding and or crusting over and, and that type of thing, but. You know, some of that corn, uh, that V5 to V7, and maybe Brad can comment on this, is, um, you know, did <clears throat> we have an issue, you know, we have a lot of situations where we have stress on the crop at that V5 to 7. Typically, you know, it's just genetics that affect the number of rows. But, you know, if we have severe stress in there, or, um, you know, if we had some of those areas, did we have, Brad, a, a, a lack of N that hurt us earlier, or if these corn roots get get down deeper and so forth are, are they can they recover well there we did see some some evidence that there was some nitrogen issues not severe uh you could just tell that the color of the crop wasn't quite exactly what we'd want the the rainfall over the weekend uh helped things all awful lot i was really noticing this morning on my drive into mankato how dark the the crop has gotten dark green the crop has gotten since the rain over the weekend uh remember that uh, the nitrogen cycle is going to turn that nitrogen into nitrate and nitrate is primarily moving into the plant through water uptake and so when the most of the nitrogen is up in that top foot of uh, soil and the top foot of soil is bone dry and even though you may not see great drought stress although we did see quite a bit of drought stress by the end of last week um, it's picking up the water from the bottom of the root system where there's not a lot of nitrogen. So um, that could have uh, been uh, something that was affecting. I think personally, I, I've seen a lot of uh, unevenness in fields that in my opinion, uh, probably was a lot more related with water availability, just simply based on soil types and landscapes. And so we, we know that there's different uh, soils that, that hold water better, have deeper water or water Water access to water tables. Other places on the landscape are more drought prone. And so I'm seeing a lot of different, uh, a lot of raggedness and unevenness in fields uh, based on that in the last three weeks. Um, you know, at this point, uh, um, because of the, the weather now, the warm temperatures, now there is some moisture, at least in a lot of parts of the state, not everywhere, but most places have decent moisture in the top. But this is the time of year we start seeing a lot of mineralization and nitrogen on a soil organic matter. So provided we continue to have some moisture now on that top uh, six inches foot of soil, 
Uh, I don't anticipate seeing a lot of nitrogen stress visible. Uh, what you're going to potentially see though is if we had nitrogen issues, loss issues based on um, what the weather was like earlier in the year, uh, those will probably start manifesting themselves in late August. Uh, the crop might just simply run short toward the end of the year. Um, frankly, our research has shown that it's it's really ineffective to be applying in-season nitrogen in Minnesota past about V10, V12. We're kind of there with a lot of the the, the fields. And so um, ultimately now there's not a lot you're going to do management-wise. It's really more of a case of um, paying attention to this and deciding uh, if there's any lessons to be learned uh, as far as what you're going to do next year. Um, you know, we know that there's been a lot of trend towards side dress nitrogen the last uh, decade or so. We've had a couple of years where it was really challenging to get out in the field uh, because of it being too wet uh, on a consistent basis. And now this year we had a lot of situations where you could get out there, but producers were calling and saying, uh, it's so dry, what's going to happen to it when I put it on? Uh, so I guess when I talk about, are there lessons to be learned for the future? You know, that's maybe something to be thinking about is, is, is side dress, uh, really an important part of how you manage nitrogen? If so, then be thinking about uh, ways to minimize the loss. And if it's just one of those things you think, well, it's a good thing to do, you know, maybe be thinking about that that maybe it's putting you at risk to, to not get your nitrogen applied or to potentially lose it if the weather conditions are unfavorable. Good points, Brad. So Dave, you mentioned... Uh... Uh, you know, early season V five seven stresses affecting the kernel number around, and and you know, it basically affecting you know the number of, number of rows. A lot of that is driven by genetics. But Tom, you're in a period now. You get this exponential growth on corn, correct? In in Wasika, um, maybe some of that's that's chest high. We get up to that V twelve stage. Now we're going to be to point where it's the number of you know kernels in a row, and and there's a lot of things that can happen, Tom, over the years. You know, then when we get to that point in terms of, uh, of affecting that that ear length or that that roll length in there in, in this, especially getting into July, correct? Yeah, I think now is is when it's starting to determine how many potential kernels mm -hmm. is per ear. Right. Still, the main overriding thing is what happens at pollination time, and I think there's. There's decent moisture now, and the number of potential kernels probably isn't too bad. But if we don't get much rain between now and tasseling time, that would be that would be a, a critical time for corn, and we're used to that. Uh, we don't like to see hot, dry conditions at pollination. Before then, sometimes that leaf rolling we see isn't really detrimental to corn yields, but. Uh, be nice to pick up some rains here. We did get a nice inch. That's going to carry us for at least 10 days now. And I, I looked on the map, Rochester, Ryan, uh, sorry, you didn't get that. Hopefully maybe tonight you can pick up the storm. I think there's some potential. 40%. Well, at least yeah. something. There's potential there. But I looked at our records. At this point in time, we are much better off. And everybody remembers 1988 Uh at least people my age, when you talk about hot, dry, they just 1988 comes to the front of their mind, and and we are much better off than we were that year. So, all so, hope is not lost yet. So once we're at that V12 ish stage, we got a couple weeks till we hit tassel, and it's kind of that 
critical period we need to start picking up some some precipitation and and, and along after that we hit those reproductive phases for a couple of weeks there we really really need some rainfall yep. so. you're affecting the total biomass here of the leaves and the in the stem here around v v12 and certainly that corn is up there but uh i think devlin was right earlier when we talked about crop canopy um it's it, that's the soybeans where suffering situations there you don't have that shading competition to, uh, devlin and tom especially on that late emerging water hemp. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, corn, yeah, it could probably shade in, but. One thing I just want to call your attention to before we run out of time here, we do have some upcoming uh, crop and weed management tours, both July 6th in Rochester at the site, as well as July 12th at, at Rosemont. At Rochester, we're going to expand the discussion a little bit to incorporate some insect topics. We had uh, quite the issues with armyworm and so Bruce Potter will be there to discuss some of uh, some of the management concerns we've got around uh, armyworm and cutworm and some of the things that happened this year. And so uh, we'll also have Bay Yang there, uh, who's our new corn entomologist. So you get a chance to meet uh, him. Uh, we're looking to connect him with some of the growers in that area for work with corn insects. So we'll have a couple of extra things. Uh, Dublin's graduate students will be down to, to talk about some of the work they're doing with herbicide resistance screening and some of their cover crop things. So, uh, and Devlin will be there. So we'll have a, a broader discussion. It'll be weed management, but some of the things that uh, play along with weeds. So uh, it should be a good time and uh, looking forward to that. And uh, thank you, Ryan. And July 12th, uh, Wednesday, it will be at Rosemont Research and Outreach Center. And we'll talk about the only, like it will be specifically focusing on the weed management, but we'll talk about some of the new herbicide compounds. And then we'll talk about some of the weed biology work that we are doing in water hemp and giant ragweed. And we'll show you some uh, trials that um, show weed management in a soybean system. So uh, yeah, there'll be some interesting topic and also, uh, we'll discuss some uh, pros and cons of uh, growing cover crop, cereal ripe cover crop in a year like this, because uh, this is a unique year and um, yeah, the termination timing was really crucial. But at the same time, we have to uh, weigh the, uh, weigh the uh, pros and cons of growing cereal ripe cover crops, especially year like uh, uh, 2023. So um, yeah, I think those two uh, field days will be really exciting and uh, I'll be there in both of the field days. So if you have time, please try to um, be there. And I think last week we already sent out a Minnesota Crop News article about Rochester field day, uh, July 6th. And then today, the another crop news article is going out regarding uh, Rosemont field day that is on July 12th. And I think both of the field days will be in the morning or so uh, right. from 8.30 to noon. So yeah, please, if you can make it, please try to be there. In following the uh, the Rochester day, uh, we will have a small grains tour up at the Lawler farm with Yoakum Wiersma. So that'll be after the weed management, uh, pest management kind of tour uh, down at Rochester. So uh, thanks again to our sponsors, Minnesota Corn and Soybean. Uh, thanks so much for helping bring this out there. Thanks to the guests uh, that were on today to help kind of facilitate this discussion. Uh, without you, this wouldn't be possible. So thanks, guys.